Welcome to Changing Reels, a bi-weekly podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity in cinema one reel at a time. We do so by revisiting overlooked and underappreciated films. My name is Courtney Small. I'm joined today by the wonderful film critic Kristen Lopez, who you've probably heard on numerous podcasts or read her views and articles on numerous publications, including The Hollywood Reporter and RogerEbert.com. She recently had one that posted today as we're recording, June 12th, on RogerEbert.com about Ida Lupino. And for those of you who have listened to a second last episode, we talked about Miss Lupino's film The Bigamist. So if you enjoyed that episode, definitely go read this article and if you haven't listened to the episode read the article and then go listen to the episode either way it's a win-win for you uh kristen how are you doing today i'm good excellent uh, as some of you may know if you're a regular listener uh, my regular co-host andrew hathaway is on hiatus for the year he's focusing on his writing and also he's got a video game he's producing but if you still want to check out what he's doing and support his work you can go over to his website can'tstopthemovies.com also we're hosted by the modern superior network so you can check out their site and listen to all the various podcasts that they have on their network We'd like to start off each episode by highlighting one short film that you can watch online for free. Uh, Our short film today is entitled Doll, or First Birthday, directed by Andrew Ahn, and it's set during a traditional Korean first birthday celebration. This film centers around Nick, a gay Korean-American who has not yet come out of the closet to his folks, and he's stuck in a tough spot because he hasn't come out, and he also kind of longs for a type of family life that he may not have. Kristen, I don't know if I best summarized that film, but did you get a chance to... Uh... I, I, I think that does describe it. This is, um, it's a pretty cut and dry slice of life. You're, you're literally stepping into a relationship with a character and you're, you're forced to kind of extrapolate based on what, what their interactions are with other characters and, and the like. Here, yeah, the, the character, our main character is closeted in in the sense that people know that he is gay, but they don't want to acknowledge it, especially his, his dad. I mean, it all revolves around the first birthday of his nephew, the, the main character's nephew. And so watching this was interesting. I have I have a friend whose parents are very religious, and when he came out to them, it, it seemed very similar to what I'm watching in the short, which is that they're all aware of it. They just don't ever talk about it. So when his sister-in-law says, well, you could have brought your boyfriend, it's obvious it's his brother says, kind of reprimands her. It's that concept of they're cool with it as long as they don't have to see it. Did the father know? That was the one thing I wasn't quite sure of. Because I got this, obviously the brother knew, and I had the feeling that a lot of people within his circle knew, but the father and possibly the mother either didn't know or weren't quite sure. The way I interpreted it was that the father never acknowledges him. There's a scene where they are sitting side by side together, and he calls his dad, and his dad just ignores him. So the way I interpreted it was the dad does know and the dad has pretty much just ignores that he's there. So I I took it as like a disowning by proxy. That does make sense because that was the one thing that I I wasn't sure of. And as you said, it is a a fairly straightforward narrative based on how the film starts. And you see Nick and his partner out with their dog. And the partner just puts his arm around Nick. You know, it's a tender moment, but I guess Nick sees someone pass by and kind of brushes him off and immediately sets a tone that he's he's not comfortable with having you know his life out to the point where his his family or folks might know as we learn a few moments later his at least his brother knows for sure uh, but it, it, i don't know it was a very interesting film and there's a there's a sadness to it 
because we don't really get to know too much of the characters outside of this one birthday celebration. And there's that great scene where he has to Nick has to take a photo with his I think it was his nephew and it's you can see he's happy to be with the nephew but there's also a, a sadness in his face that you know he may not be able to have this in his, in his own life what would his life be if he and his partner did adopt and depending on where they are you know is it even legal for them to adopt yeah i, I thought that it was interesting we're you know we're talking we're going to be talking about a movie that's all about composition how the composition is filmed here when they're taking the picture the family portrait you're watching it from behind um the, the cameraman is in front of you and there's this uh, moment where it's the family but the cameraman is blocking the main character which i think sums up the relationship that he's part of the family but not one with the family based on on his decision and andrew on i know has has looked at the the kind of the isolating nature of being a gay asian male and stuff like spa night and, and this seems very isolating you know the the concept that he's in this group with people that are you know meant to to love him but there's this remove there's this distance that has nothing to do whatsoever with what is happening, but it's all in the history of of the culture, the history of, of this family. And really what I took was he's watching this small child who is steeped in ritual, a ritual that he doesn't understand. You know, the baby spends pretty much the entire short crying because he doesn't understand what's happening. And I think that's a really telling moment for the entire short the aspect of ritual is something that really stuck out to me and i had watched our feature film that we're going to be discussing uh, columbus first before this kind of came on my radar and i noticed there's a lot of similarities in terms of of duty responsibility you know he's, he has to show up to this party because it's it's tradition it's family and of course he you know he wants to, to be there for support but there he can't bring himself fully because he can't bring his partner you know and there's this intricate dance of i've got to play the role when I'm in this particular confines and then when I get home I can kind of be free be myself but when you made the point about the photographer blocking him in that family portrait I had noticed that as well and originally I took that as being the the outsider the the outcast in that group and then I read when I was doing a little bit of research on this who Andrew on is and his work that this film apparently the family that's and it is his actual family. And I don't know if this is true or not, but from what I read that he was using this film as a way to possibly come out to his folks at the time. So that I guess there's a bit of meta filmmaking going on. And that kind of changed my view of that whole scene because instead of him blocking the characters, essentially he's, I'm assuming if he's playing the role of the photographer in that scene, I don't know, I forgot, I forgot to check the credits, but it would still be interesting that he's now putting himself into into his work yeah that would be well and and if you look at the end the end credits the the movie actually ends with footage seemingly of of his his first birthday the director's first birthday which i thought was kind of goes with that theme of autobiography so yeah i i could totally see that uh, i think that's all i had to say about this one on Honestly, like I, I enjoyed it. As we said, it's it's very straightforward, but personally, I think it fits nicely with our feature film. I, I agree, yeah. It's definitely got that concept of, like, familial, kind of the burden of, of wanting to live up to expectation, and obviously the, the John Cho character in Columbus being Korean-American himself. So, yeah, I think it, I think it works well. You know what? We're going to take a quick moment to change the reels, and we'll be back with our feature film of the day. 
Our main film for today is Columbus, the 2017 drama directed by Kogo Nada. Uh, the story focuses on a Korean-born man named Jin, played by John Cho, who finds himself stuck in Columbus, Indiana, when his architect father falls ill. There, he strikes up a friendship with a young woman by the name of Casey, played by Haley Lou Richardson, and she is at that stage of her life where she's trying to figure out whether or not she should stay or leave Columbus, and right now she's leaning more towards staying because she wants to be there for her mother, who is a recovering addict. So she's decided to take family responsibility over pursuing her dreams. Uh, Kristen, what did you think of this film? So this is the second time I've seen this movie. I saw this last year when it was doing the awards circuit. And I still don't see the um, fawning adoration for this movie that I remember it got when it came out. It's a very well-acted movie. It's a beautifully, beautifully composed film. But I do feel it's a little slow, a little quiet, and that's great for a lot of people. But for me, I felt at times it just kind of dragged. It seems like Koganata kind of gets really wrapped up in shots of how things look. And I, I liked it more when it was about storytelling, specifically the Haley Lou Richardson character. I, I loved her story. I love Haley Lou Richardson. I think she's one of the more brilliant young actresses coming to, up today. And this was a movie that for me was very shocking because it was a, it's a great performance from John Cho, who I, up until this point, had only known as Harold from Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle. So it was it was really great to see him play a, a serious, empathetic character. And it's obvious that people are now discovering this season a bunch of really fantastic movies. So yeah, I, I like this movie. I appreciate this movie. Do I love this movie? No. <laughs> no, that's, that's fair. For me, this was my first time watching it, and I think I fall into that love it camp. I've, I've been thinking about this film a lot since I first watched it, and for me, the the slow or I, I wouldn't even say it was slow because to me it didn't feel slow but it, it, it I think the, I think the term is maybe contemplative meditative maybe? it is yeah it is very meditative and I think the the quiet aspects to it uh, really connected with me in many ways it it reminded me of some of the films that some of the, I guess the independent films that I used to watch well, I'm gonna date myself but you know back in the 90s and especially in my university days when we should have been studying but we would just go to the the local video store or the ind independent video store at our university town and just rent a a whack load of movies and the ones that always kind of piqued my interest and got me thinking were these type of character dramas where a lot is said in what is unsaid there was i don't know there was just something about this film and and seeing these two individuals who in their own ways are bound by a sense of duty to parents that for the most part have not been there for them when as parents should and i also really found it engaging how they interact to each other's own parental plates so for jin you know his father was never there due to heritage obligations he has to be by his side and if his father is well enough to go back to korea then he has to be the one that's going to have to look after him until he either gets way better or until he dies and he would rather just see his father die and so he can move on and you have casey who on the opposite spectrum feels that she needs to be there for her mom because her mom's a bit of a, a wild child you could say and you know she sees that her her mother can't l live without her but when she looks at Jin's situation she feels that Jin should be more compassionate to 
his father and Jin thinks that Casey needs to listen to her mother a bit more and, and, and step away, you know, find her own life. So I found that dynamic really intriguing. Yeah, there's there's a lot of mixed in with the, the talk of like architecture, which is a big part of this movie. I almost forgot that it's set in Columbus, Indiana, because I, I thought it was Columbus, Ohio, <laughs> which which makes about as much sense um, because they're both kind of this middle America type of locales. But but there is there is a lot, I think, that is relatable about this movie, even though the characters are so very specific, this concept of having to deal with your own individual identity in the wake of, of a parent's illness or a parent's inability to act responsible. I definitely see a lot of myself in the Haley Lou Richardson character, not having a mother who is a, a, an addict, thankfully, but the whole concept of, of feeling like you are responsible for that that parent, that because because for some reason you just feel like they can't do it without you. Watching Haley Lou Richardson's character, Casey, and her mom, there is that role reversal. You know, Casey's the one who cooks dinner. Casey's the one who reminds her mother of the schedule. Those are things that are very common in my house. And so so there's this weird, like, push and pull as she tries to figure out if she's essentially spinning her wheels. And at the same time, she's kind of dealing with the fact that is there anything wrong with wanting to stay where she is? You know, the, the girl comes to the library and makes her feel bad because she hasn't traveled and you know, characters tell her she deserves to go to college. And, you know, her whole thing is, you know, I like it here. What's wrong? Why is why is staying here considered this failure? And for the John Cho character, Jin, he's he sees the opposite. You know, he's gone away. He's gone about as far away as one can get to a whole other country. And coming back here just kind of feels like this this come down for him. So that it's a really unique dynamic about this concept of place and how we define success based on place. The fact that architecture plays such a central role in this film and they they bond, you know, over their discussions of architecture, but they also use that as a portal to get to more deeper conversations about their lives and I think it was Jin who had a a line saying when you're so used to seeing something every day you don't you don't really appreciate it and I I think Casey also makes reference to pretty much a lot of the people that are around that talk about it don't really know what they're talking about because they don't really see the world around them and in in many ways that's with a lot of aspects of our lives you know whether it be actual architecture or how we view family you know sometimes the the ones that are closest to you are the ones that you, you you take for granted and the way that architecture is used in this film was great and partly because you get that type of deep discussion but then also it allows for just a visually interesting film i did not really know too much about Kogonata before this i think i had seen maybe one or two of his video essays and i didn't really register as I was watching this, that was the same individual, but there's a lot of distance in his shots and in a lot of shots of passageways. And I guess there's not even a lot of reverse coverage shots. That library scene that you talk about, when the girl comes in, you see it from a particular perspective. And then later on, you see it from a slightly different angle, but there's no real back and forth. And even then, there's always a distance to everything. Like There's establishing shots of the various locales and rooms just to set the place. But again, everything kind of feels like you're a step removed from from touching anything. And I think it also 
did a good job of kind of encapsulating the distance within the characters. Yeah, I, I really like how Koganada films things. I think I remember there being a wealth of articles when this movie came out about, you know, shot composition and, and the emphasis on passageways. I also like how everything is is very, there's this nice symmetry to everything. You know, um, he loves rectangles or squares. You know, there's, so you, 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 you know, you'll see down a passageway and then you'll see like a, a rectangular shelf of books, you know, the repetition of bookcases, you know, all of it just seems very multi-layered, like an art piece. I mean, you could probably hang any frame of this film on your wall and it would look beautiful. And I think a lot of that shows the concept of how we order our lives. And yet we ourselves are very disordered. And even, you know, this is a movie that I, I've said is very quiet, but really you're watching a lot of characters act out through suppression. You know, whether it's Casey, you know, trying to, to hold in the fact that her mother is, is keeping some sort of secret from her and she automatically assumes that it's some uh, something to do with drugs. Jin is trying to cope with the fact that he has no real connection to his dad. He's, he's stuck there. And there's, there's a lot of things left unsaid, as, as you mentioned. And I think that the, the shock composition does a really great subtle irony of showing that these characters are falling apart in a very beautiful manicured, you know, locale. The suppression also reminded me of one of my favorite moments. And it's a little more than halfway through the film when Casey tells Jin that, you know, she they're going to go to this party. And I guess that somewhere along the drive, Jin falls asleep and Casey has this moment where I guess the shot starts where you see part of her body moving and you think, all right, she's at the party dancing. And then as a cam the camera slowly kind of pans out, I guess it's one of the few close-ups in, in the film, you realize that she's just kind of dancing in, I guess, a car parking lot by herself. And at that point, she's, I guess, dancing to the music that's in her head. And it's just her, I guess, physically letting out some of the rage and frustration that she's been building up. And it's very simple scene, but how it was done, I know, I thought brought a lot of emotion. And there's no real big epic moments of emotion in this film. And I think that's also what I liked about it because the the material is ripe for some really grand speeches. But you get like that dance scene, you get the the part where they're walking on that little bridge and again Jin's telling um, Casey that she should really leave and follow her mother's wishes and they, they're having a, a, a conversation basically about being hypocrites because they're each trying to tell the other what they should do while the other does not necessarily want to do it themselves. And again, you can see Casey getting emotional in that scene, but she's still holding it in. Like, I don't know, there was just something about the way how the the actors handled those moments and handled the rage and pain inside of them, but in a reserved manner that really stuck with me. And I agree with you. Haley Lou Richardson, for me, this I think was the first time I can recall seeing her in something. I haven't seen uh, Edge of 17 yet, but she was fantastic in this movie. Like I thought as a character piece, both actors did a, a wonderful job. Yeah, she's she's doing some good stuff. I, I saw her first at Edge of 17. She, it's a very different role than this movie. It's very peppy. And this is a, a more dour, quiet role. Um, but even in something like Split, she's got a very small part in that movie. She, she stands out. And I know... I know she has a, a role in an Oscar Isaac movie that comes out this year, so I'm excited to see that. She's so good. Wait, she uh, was in she was in Split. 
Yeah, she's one of the the girls they kidnapped. Yeah. Okay, okay. So then yeah. I have okay, I did see that one. All right. Yeah, it's not. I mean, she's not anything that people are going to remember her for except me. Yeah. <laughs> but but here, you know, I I love how she's just kind of this this powder keg waiting to explode. There's a, a, a again a subplot where she believes that her mother is keeping secrets from her to the point where she's going to her mother's work and actually calling her on the phone, trying to catch her in a lie. And again, very relatable in a very weird way to me. You know, it's that idea of the role reversal, but at the same time, you know, these two characters are all that they've had. So, you know, trust is a very big thing, but she never gets physically angry. You know, everything is very modulated. Um, you can tell she's angry, but she's not going to express that. Anger. Whereas John Cho's character is more of a melancholy, you know, throughout the whole thing. You know, his emotions are more of sadness than necessarily anger. At least that's how I, I took it. I got the melancholy, but I did get a sense of anger in in his character as well but again that anger could just come out of frustration yeah uh, the frustration of having to be in that uh, melancholic situation the whole i guess subplot with the mother and the mother sneaking around and not telling casey where she's going or being gone for ages. i found that really interesting and especially because they have the co-worker who i can't remember if we even get her name but the co-workers essentially covering for the mother. And I always, if, I guess if, if I had one complaint about this film, is I, I want to know a little bit more about the mother's arc, um, especially when you have Michelle Forbes in a role like that. It's like, oh, she could really kill this role if we got a little bit more of her. But I, I guess the film wants to avoid the, the formulaic tropes. But I just want to know a little bit more about what she was doing. The fact that she had this co-worker covering for her on multiple occasions led me to believe that it you know it was something pretty big that was going on but i guess maybe if she's routinely running off or i guess she tends to fall in love easily what have you maybe um Koganata decided that it wasn't really that important to delve into but i don't know i thought for as the side characters go and especially if you have an actor of uh, Michelle Forbes talents that's uh, an avenue that you could have delved into a bit deeper yeah I didn't even know that was Michelle Forbes until you brought it up <laughs> oh you didn't yeah well I, I think a lot of the scene you know especially if you're watching this on a smaller television a lot of her scenes seem to be very shadowy yes and they are and they are filmed again from a from a substantial distance so. right so you're never really getting a close-up on her face to be like oh it's and maybe that's the point you know because this isn't really her story it's supposed to be casey's story so you're not meant to really know much about her i did think that yeah the reveal is a bit it's literally a line from from jan being like oh you know maybe this guy is really good for her and you're like oh okay that's the build-up never really jives with the payoff i think is the the thing but the movie doesn't want to get that heavy i guess and turn into like an after school special you know with this young girl trying to figure out how to get her mom off of drugs again so i mean i guess they had to do something like that but it does it does feel a bit anticlimactic you know i think i think the side character that gets the most personality is um the Parker Posey character. Oh, yep, yep. Who is the Jin's dad's, what is it, agent, publicist, manager, something like that? I, yeah, I I want to say 
assistant. Mm, I'm not really I, sure what the, the exact term for her yeah, was. Yeah, I couldn't tell if she was the assistant or she was the manager, but I got the sense that she had been working alongside him for a, a long yes, time. Yes, yeah, yeah. And there's there's this kind of relationship that's delved into. Um, I, I do applaud this movie for not going the obvious route of getting Casey and Jin together, which I thought it was going to do. And I was, I mean, not that John Cho looks like he's, you know, 80, or Haley Lewis looks like she's 15, but I, did, I didn't necessarily want this movie to be two characters of the opposite sex have to end up together. So so the fact that it's, it's Jin and, and Eleanor and they have this kind of unrequited, it's not necessarily unrequited, she's married, so they can't be together, but... I like that that was the relationship as opposed to making the the central characters have to get together just because they're two young people who aren't dating anybody. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that as well. I, I wrote in my notes, uh, no Mulder and Scully, you know, and yes. <laughs> nothing, hey, uh, you know, I'm a big X-Files fan up until the last two seasons, but I've, I've always felt that you don't ne- you don't need to have the two sexual tension doesn't need to be per- per- you know permeate in every relationship exactly and i really like how jin handles it because there's a point where eleanor basically calls him out on it and is saying you know you you like her more than just friends and he's like well no she's she's too young she's too young but he and at the same time he never really pushes it in in their friendship like i like that they have a very intimate friendship within this, you know, like a small window of time that they've been to get, they've been together and hanging out, but it never goes anywhere. And even in the scene where you think, okay, this is going to be the scene, Coconado doesn't give you that. He gives you something completely different. There's a, there's a level of of respect and and caring that was great to see and just even having a character like Jin in this type of film made my heart um, bounce a little bit. And I know it's really silly to say, but th- watching this film, I was shocked and proud that John Cho was was the lead in it because this is a film where I was going through the Rolodex of young um, white actors who would have probably been in this role had another director taken it, you know? And his Korean heritage is not a central aspect to the plot, but in many ways, it's still very important to it. You know, he's still just an average guy dealing with this situation that we can all identify with. But I I like that you add that particular layer and you cast someone like John Cho, who, as you said, you know, a lot of people wouldn't um, think of. Like for you, it's you associate him with Harold and Kumar. For me, I associate him with um, Better Luck Tomorrow because that was the first one that I saw him with. And we we discussed, I guess, our very first episode of this show. We reviewed Better Luck Tomorrow and I had pointed out in that episode that when I saw that film at TIFF, I guess back in 2002, the entire cast was there, and they were all talking about how they all knew each other from going to auditions, where they were basically all auditioning for the, the same Chinese delivery person role. And to see a film like this, where he's just an average Joe, he's just a regular person, like, you know, showing how you can incorporate diversity in cinema in a way that is so natural you know, that doesn't even call attention to it and, and still tell a really interesting, or at least for me, very compelling story is wonderful. Yeah, I think I think John Cho is going to be one of the, the few Asian actors that's really transitioned by not really falling into stereotype in, in movies. You know, Harold and Kumar plays with, with stereotype a little bit 
actually not really a little bit it's a lot um but it, and it does it in a very fun way yeah, in a smart way uh, yeah and then uh, you know i was i just i saw john cho in um gemini back at afi fest which is a noir mystery where he plays a detective and that he's just great in it i know he's got a movie coming out in a couple months it looks like unfriended but it's it's again kind of that detective mystery movie i mean where where his race is not the focus of the movie and that's really what you need you just want to see different faces the movie doesn't have to be about why their face is different and here you know the movie has a couple it does address the you know like like um casey's the one that's put on the spot where you know they're talking about him being able to speak english um she she mentions you know don't take it offensively but are you related to him you know they they do touch on it but that's really it that's the extent of it it's not you know, this culture shock, you know, Asian man in in the Midwest. It's not that at all. If anything, I think he brings up the concept of how different Korean culture is. And and for me, you know, I think many people grow up knowing Koreans from like Gilmore Girls, you know, and the concept of them being like totally uncaring, emotionless people. And here he does bring that up, you know, that his his bosses in Korea don't really care. They tell him the family is important, but they still want him to work. And so, you know, they do bring that up. But again, there's really no maligning of anyone, you know, US is better, Korea is better. None of that happens here. It's just, that's just the backstory to his character. Yeah, and it, and it works well. And, you know, when you were talking about Parker Posley and supporting characters, one character I wanted to get your uh, opinion on was, was Gabriel, uh, the Rory Culkin character. Because I thought early on that we would see a little bit more of him and their friendship, but he really does kind of get pushed to the side. And Casey has this great line about, you know, her being just tired in general, tired of everything, but especially tired of of meeting new men. And you you get the sense that Gabriel really wants to, he's really into to Casey, but he can't seem to broach this wall that she's put up and the few times that she's kind of let the wall down he's missed the opportunity or or fumbled it so i just want to know what what did you think of his role in this film and you know did you think he was really that important or could the film been the exact same without him i will just say if anybody had told me that the the colgan from father of the bride was going to be the one that we were all talking about wait is that the same one i think it is i I don't know know. i can't keep track of which ones are doing they're they're all doing different things in the acting world exactly i i could be confusing colgan boys i just know that the the two that aren't macaulay so but i mean i thought he was he was fine um I, i he's maybe because i've been to grad school and i've met men like that who are like quasi-intellectual that feel that they need to a lot of a lot of his dialogue seemed mansplaining to me you know the way he's he's um talking that there's this extended discussion that him and casey have about video games and interests kind of the snarky bullshit that like intellectual people talk about and she's kind of just being very blunt about it. He's like, no, no, you're wrong. It's very mansplaining. That's how I took it, at least. So for me, it wasn't necessarily that they were friends. And again, this could just be personal experience talking here. It's the fact that she's trying to make an effort to further some type of relationship. And he just kind of is very flippant about it. Like, if they hang out, that's great. If not, that's cool. Like, you know, he ha- his stuff comes first. And, and so when she invites him over, 
he's just like, oh, I have something to do. And, and you can see the look on her face. It's like, what what is their relationship? That's the thing. I think that's what you're constantly wondering. What is their relationship? This, I think, is a relationship where she's waiting for him to make this gesture and he's not doing it. So when at the end he does finally say like, well, should I hang out with you and your mom? She's just done. She's just done with him. She's done waiting for him. And honestly, she could do a lot better than a freaking Colgan. No. Well, this way he was in, you can't count on, you can count on me. And then, well, I didn't really like signs that much, but you know, he's, he's... Oh, okay. So he's the signs Colgan. He's not father of Brian Colgan. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say he's the, uh, Igby goes down Colgan, but then I realized yeah. he wasn't, he wasn't the main one. He was, there was several Colkins in that, in that film as okay. well. He's the last one. Got it. Yeah. I, it's funny though. Cause I, I got this, definitely got the sense that he had missed his opportunity and that, you know, he, he was putting himself first at times, but I, I was I kept wondering again if we had a little more context, was there other opportunities where he tried to, you know, put her first and things didn't work out? Like as you said, we're we're never quite sure what their their relationship is. And when he's gone for a good portion of the film, I did not miss him because I was so engaged in this bond that she was making with Jin that when he re- reappears towards the end it's like oh yeah yeah gabriel's still around he's he's still in that photo (laughs) yeah yeah and again i think that there's this is a movie that doesn't give you backstory on on characters so you're just kind of always wondering much like you you know if you meet people for the first time and you're only really learning what they tell you you know you can you're only learning what the movie wants to show you about who these people are so you don't really know what what the backstory is so really we could be right we could be wrong the movie doesn't give us any indication either way yeah that's true and you know as we said with eleanor the they give a hint of um jen and eleanor having a flirtation or at least him having a crush on her when he was much younger although i don't even think he's that old in this particular film yeah but... it was kind of like wait how much older is he supposed to be because parker posey i think is only maybe a couple of years older than him i never quite figured out his age the role that he's supposed to be or said the age that he's supposed to be playing in in this film but you know their dynamics again in that really well shot scene at the um at the end where a lot of it's done through mirrors the camera doesn't move a lot in this film which i also really appreciate i don't know maybe because we've seen so many films now that are very canton angles quick cuts and this one is just very calm natured but that scene and with them in the mirrors you get so much in a few brief moments but then there's still so much more you want to know about i think that's what i really loved about this film i by the end of it i want to know what happened to these characters i want to know what happened to to jen and his father i want to know where where casey's life goes when she everyone says that you've got the talent and brains to make it big and you you really do get the sense that she can do it but Again, you know, will her mother always be kind of weighing her down no matter how far she goes? Like, there's just a lot in this film that had me thinking and I've been thinking about for a while. So I can I can see the, the love that this film has garnered. Again, I was very late to the boat on this one. I only discovered it recently, but I, I really did enjoy it. Yeah, I, I think it's one that I, I do recommend people check out i think koganata is going to be again another a director that's going to have a very clear voice that people are going to go for but it does it does appeal to a certain audience member i i definitely like the performances i love how it looks but 
I mean, it's a movie that's not really going for the warm and fuzzies that I doubt you, you know, you'll probably want to pop in on a, on a whim, but I do recommend people watch it. Excellent. Okay. Well, Kristen, where can folks find you? I am on Twitter at journeys underscore film. You can also check out my other podcast that I do regularly. I talk about classic cinema over at journeys of classic film.com as well as ticklishbusiness.podbean.com, which is my podcast. And you can also hear me talk about film, feminism, all that on Citizen Dame, which is at citizendame.podbean.com, as well as citizendamepod.com. Excellent. And you can find me at our um, Twitter account, at ChangingReelsAC. Or if you want to reach me directly, you can contact me at SmallMind on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please take a moment to rate and review our show if you listen to us through iTunes or Google Play, because, hey, we're now in the Google Play Store. Thanks again for listening, and remember, you can change the conversation on diversity one reel at a time. It's been a presentation of the Modern Superior Media Network.